0: Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to encourage you to open them to Romans, chapter 7. The book of Romans, chapter 7, and we'll begin at verse 15. Romans 7, 15. Alright, you have your scriptures ready in Romans, chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 15. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read from the message paraphrase, which is by Eugene Peterson. I feel like it really captures... The heart of what Paul is trying to say here. And so if you have a Bible app like I do, you can just switch right over. If you don't, I'm sorry, you can read along. It will sound a little different, but you'll catch the heart of this. So Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. Paul writes, What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's commands are necessary. But I need something more, for if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in the delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope, Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. This is the word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Well, we're in the beginning of a new series, and the series is called Predicting the Future. Now, I know you're all thinking about, uh, you know, crystal balls and looking into the future. Uh, and some of you are wishing that we could go back in time to, to, say, January and begin to invest our money in certain things like, I don't know, face masks, sanitizer, toilet paper, like take out stock in Charmin or something like that. Uh, if only we could do some of those things But this series is not about crystal balls or about predicting what will happen on earth. What this series is all about is to get us to think about change in regards to our understanding and practice of following Jesus. In other words, what do we need to do in order to become disciples? We know from our last series that we are called to be disciples of Jesus, not just deciders for Jesus. We also should know that the goal of any disciple, now let me me take that word for a second, disciple. We hear that, it seems very religious and, and churchy. Really, being a disciple means being an apprentice. Some of you are in trades where you had to apprentice yourself to someone else for a time period before you could get that license or before you could enter into that field. Being a disciple is being an apprentice. It is to live just like our teachers. If you were an apprentice, you watched whoever you were apprenticing to and you would watch what they do and how they would do it and how they would line things up. Being a disciple is the same thing. We are called to live just like our teacher, Jesus. And so we are called to watch Him. We are called to read and know His teachings. And then we are called to go and to do those things that He has done. Now, if you're like me, to be like Jesus will require some change. And change is difficult for us as human beings. Willpower does not seem to run strong in our DNA. Now, some people have more of it than others. Some people have less of it. But we all struggle with change in some way, shape, or form. In fact, according to a 2018 study, less than 25% of people stay committed to their New Year's resolutions after 30 days. Think about that. Less than 25%. Only 8% actually accomplish what they set out to do on New Year's, with their New Year's resolutions. And yet, Romans 829, which is a little past our passage, tells us that God's will for Christians is to be conformed to the image of His Son. That we are to look like Jesus. So if human beings are so bad at change, how are we supposed to live like Jesus? How are we supposed to love like Jesus? How are we supposed to serve like Jesus? How are we supposed to give up our selfish desires like Jesus? How are we to take up our cross like Jesus calls us to do and like he actually did? I think if we're honest, we often feel like Paul in our attempts to follow after Jesus or to be conformed into the image of Jesus. We can say with him, like he did in verse 15, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. I I mean, how many of us set out in the morning... (laughs) Maybe you, you get up and you're like, yes, okay, it's, it's morning. Today, I want to love like Jesus. You go through your morning, you have your coffee, you get in your car and you drive and someone cuts you off on the freeway and right away you throw them the one-way Jesus sign. And you wonder, what in the world? I had such good determination. How many of us say we let go of anger and then we walk into our kids' room? And it's a disaster. Or we walk into the bathroom and our spouse left the lid up or down or squeezed the toothpaste tube in the wrong place. Or you walk into the workplace and, and you're just confronted with that coworker. Or maybe you, you say, I want to spend time serving the poor because Jesus calls us to serve the poor, but we just end up sitting on the couch. Or we say, I'm no longer going to participate in that bad habit, and we commit ourselves and we pray and we do, only to pick it up that same day, or maybe that next minute. Paul is brutally honest and vulnerable about this dynamic, and it is beautiful. I mean, listen to this again. I think you need to hear this again, these these verses. Doesn't this sound like your experience? I know it sounds like mine. I need something more. For if I know the law, but I still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me, and it gets the better of me every time. Are you feeling that this morning? I mean, this is this is gut level honest. This is raw. He goes on, it happens so regularly, it's almost predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, and I know many of you do. But it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. You've been there. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Is that your question today? Have you been trying your best to live as Christ calls us to, but just, you just seem to get tripped up time and time and time and time again. You're trying to do the right thing, to follow after Jesus, and you just keep finding, like Paul, sin is there, and it trips me up. Well, before we get into Paul's good news for us, I want to pause. And look at this example that He gave us. Now, it's not just His description that gives us an example. It's His demeanor. Not just His description, but it's His demeanor. As He writes these words to us, He is vulnerable. And I coined a word for this. I think it is brutifully. He does it brutifully. It is brutally honest. And it is beautiful. In his vulnerability, his real struggles show up and he is unashamed. And he does this. His demeanor communicates this. And this is so important. As we talk about change and how we are going to be conformed into the image of Jesus, we must know that all change begins with a radical honesty about our struggle. I have seen this time and time again, both as a pastor and as a therapist. I say it this way. We cannot change what we are not willing to name. I'm going to say that again. If you're taking notes, this is the, this is the part you write down. Maybe you want to even put it in, in I, make it personal for you. I cannot change what I am not willing to name. That is a foundational truth. Whatever the struggle is, if it's an addiction, or if it's an attitude, or if it's any of the isms, racism, sexism, ageism, all of those things, they will not be addressed and they will not change if they are not named and described for what they are. I mean, those in the 12-step sobriety movement, they know this too well the very first step is admit we are powerless over whatever the substance is, alcohol, drugs, food, whatever it may be. We admit that we are powerless over it and that our lives have become unmanageable because of it. This is what Paul is modeling here. He shows that our best intentions to be like Jesus fall short and often end with sin tripping us up. I mean, John Wesley is a great example of this. When he was a young student at Oxford University, he and a group of other students decided they wanted to start something called the Holy Club. I mean, don't you just feel the righteousness already? But their goal was was really good. They wanted to encourage and hold one another accountable, to study and learn and memorize Scripture, to pray a certain amount of times a day, to give and to serve the poor. I mean, this was good intentions. I mean, it even led him to to want to go to the colonies to, to be a missionary. But even this holy club guy found out that he could be waylaid by his own pride. I mean, he went to the colonies to to get Native Americans saved, but his own ego wound at being rejected by a young woman got him run out of the colonies back to England. He wanted to do the right thing, but there at the door was sin tripping him up. His best intentions to follow Jesus still ended with a tripping. He, like Paul, found himself saying, I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Or as the NIV translation of the Bible says, Who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, Paul answers his question from his own personal experience in verse 25. I want to read this. He says, Is there no one who can do anything for me? That's the real question, isn't it? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. That's good news. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions, where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. Okay, that's, that's good news and I know you're excited about that, that possibility that, that Christ has come and Christ has, has made a way in this life of contradictions for us to, to know and to do the right thing. But how does this come about? How does this happen? How does God make Jesus the answer and conform us into His image? The answer may surprise you. But I have found this to be what causes change in both the counseling room and in the pews. I want to read to you, we have to go one more verse, move over to chapter 8, verse 1. And I'm going to switch, I'm going to read this from the NIV. Therefore, Paul writes, there is now, that means right now, no condemnation. Everybody say no condemnation. I want you to circle that or underline that if you feel comfortable doing that. There is now in this moment, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. There are two things that work here. You know, I, I meant to read just a little bit further in verse two as well. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because though Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. See, there are two things at work here. There is one, of course, no condemnation. Let's start with that one. I want you to know I have never, not ever, Not once found one person ever who was willing to be brutally honest like Paul was if there was even a hint, a possibility, or even just a dash of condemnation or judgmentalism. Not once. Not once at all. That's just the way people work. That's just the way it is. Period. If people feel condemned or judged by someone, if there's even a whiff of it, a hint of it, they close up, they're not going to open up. But, when I would sit with people in a counseling room, or or I would, I would t- pray with someone at the altar, when they finally believe that I'm not there to condemn them, sometimes it takes a while but that when they understand I'm not there to condemn them, but to help them and to listen to them, I have seen the flood of healing pour in in such dramatic and life-changing ways. And I have not just been there when that's happened for others, I have seen that happen in my life as well. Likewise, I believe when Christians find out that God is not trying to condemn them. When they find out that John 3.17 is just as true as John 3.16. Do you know John 3.17? It goes like this. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Him the world might be saved. When Christians find out that there is no condemnation for them in Christ Jesus, they really do begin to open up about the struggle. And they're unafraid to hear what needs to change. I saw a beautiful example of this in William Greathouse. Dr. Greathouse was a great man, an incredible scholar, so gentle, He served as a general superintendent, so he was a great leader. He served as a college president. He served as our seminary president. I mean, he had all the accolades. And I was lucky to have him as a professor late in his life and early in my academic career. And I remember him sitting there, all six foot four frame of him. And he began to just be really honest. I don't remember what the lecture was about, but he just... Began to open up and say things like, you know, I can get really carried away with the sound of my own voice. He, I mean, he said it just as normally as you would say hello to someone and the sky is, is clear and it's a beautiful day. I can get really carried away with the sound of my own voice. And then he began to share what he was saying or what he was feeling God was calling him to because his wife was dealing with dementia And she was beginning to succumb to that. And he said, yeah, I can get really carried away with my own voice. But God is telling me it's time to take care of her. He could hear and know what needed to change. He could know his own weaknesses. And then he could lean into what God was calling him to do. I believe it's because William Greathouse knew there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus So he could open up about the struggle and be unafraid to hear what needed to change. And that leads us to our second. So first is no condemnation. The second is that the spirit of life has been given to us to set us free from the law of sin and death. This spirit's power does in us what willpower alone can never do. Hear that again. The Holy Spirit's power does in us what our willpower alone can never do. And Jesus sends Him to you. Let me read that verse for you one more time. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, that's the Holy Spirit, has set you free. I want you to know, a lot of times... Uh, Paul uses the plural of you, that you all. This one, he wanted to be very singular. He wants this word to be pointing off the page, right at your chest. He wants you to know it's a singular you. That that Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of, of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For whatever you need, Help with. I like to think about this process this way: these two things working in tandem. That that both and. Let's say you have a child, and they're wanting to learn something. It could be anything. You can try, you know, art or painting, something like that. It could be a musical instrument, like my son. Uh, it could be a sport, maybe baseball or basketball or football. Now. Most kids don't feel com- condemnation from their parents. They, they're willing to ask, I want to paint. Or let's go throw the ball. Or I want to play your guitar, dad. They go right up there. They, they, they do that right away. They don't feel that condemnation from their parents. And so maybe they, they start, they pick up a ball and they throw it and it goes crazy off to the side or it, it goes straight down into the ground or, or they bring home a finger painting that they have done and it's usually messy and and the colors all blur together and you can't even define what that might look like. Now, if the parent gets onto the child, condemns the child, tells them this is terrible, you have no talent. Oh, look at how you threw that. It went way over here and I'm standing over here. Now I have to walk all the way over there. Is that child going to try again? Probably not. But what do most parents do? We don't condemn. We encourage them. Then, if they stay with it, we begin to give them what they need. Maybe it's a little instruction. Maybe it's uh, getting a a coach to come help them. Maybe it's getting the right paints or brushes, getting them the things that they need. Maybe it's getting them guitar lessons and taking them there and listening to them painstakingly play the same song over and over again. Maybe it's that schooling that we get into them. We give them what they need as they continue to put that into practice. This because they know that we're there to encourage them, not condemn them. We're there to help them and give them what they need to encourage them to try and try again when they make a mistake. God is just like that. When you are in Jesus, when you are, are, are a Christian and your desire is to be Jesus' disciple, His apprentice, you don't need to worry about condemnation. All you need to do is to be honest about what your need is. What needs to change so that you can live like Jesus, so you can love like Jesus, so you can serve like Jesus, and if necessary, you can even die like Jesus. That's where we're called. And if you happen to not even know what needs to, to, to take place in your life, you can confidently, like a child, ask what needs to be done and not worry. Because you know that when God tells you what change needs to happen, it's for your good and for your best interest. And He wants you to have everything you need to live the good life that He is calling you to. So the question for today is this. You may want to write this down. If you absolutely knew, in your heart of hearts knew, there was no condemnation from God because you're in Christ Jesus, what part of your life would you honestly ask God to help you change? I'm going to say that again because we don't have a screen uh, where you can read that. If you absolutely knew there was no condemnation. What part of your life would you honestly ask God to help you change? Is it a bad habit? Is it an addiction? What about an attitude? Or would you ask him for discipline in in certain area of your life? Would you help him to ask him to help you understand scripture? Would you ask Him to know, how can I pray more effectively or spend more time in, in quiet just with you, God? Would you ask Him for opportunities to serve? Students, you know, if you're there, teenagers and, and, and young people, this is for you too. This begins right now. God doesn't condemn you. He wants to invite you into life and He wants to give you everything you need. You can ask these questions too. Friends, I want you to know the sky is the absolute limit. God is so committed to your growth that He has provided everything you need to overcome and to really live. So what do you need to be brutally honest with God about right now? In just a minute, we're going to go to prayer. But I want you right now, wherever you are in your home around the world, I want you to get something to write with. I meant what I said that we will not change what we are not willing to name. And so I think we need to name some things right now that we want to see change in our apprenticeship with Jesus. So grab a piece of paper, a pen, a pencil, a crayon, scramble. This is not something you're going to share out online or anything along those lines. But get there and do that. I want us to spend just a moment, and we're going to pray. I'm going to bless you as you go. I hope you were able to name some things. And I hope this week and through the rest of this series, we'll begin to build a template for how we participate with that spirit of life that has set us free from the spirit or the law of sin and death. And I pray that we will we will enjoy that and see that template built throughout this next month together. But right now, I want to bless you. May you know the joy that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I pray that you will be blessed with a, a, a chance to be brutifully vulnerable and honest. About what needs to happen and change. I pray that you will experience the power of the Holy Spirit coming into your life. So that you might see victory over the law of sin and death. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, forever and ever. God bless you. Have a great week. Keep washing your hands. Stay safe. And hopefully we'll see you next Sunday right outside for a beautiful day together. God bless you as you go. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.